This is Jason Daly with Anchored Leadership, and you are listening to The Slapcast. Hello, welcome to The Slapcast. This is Shannon Lee, Executive Director of Relay. Hopefully I didn't ruin that by talking too loud. Welcome to episode nine of the Slabcast. I wanted to toot our horn because a wine person, a wise person once said to me, a man or woman who doth not tooteth his own horn hath, has a horn that remaineth untooted. <laughs> That's wisdom for you right there. So today's lesson, folks, toot your own horn because ain't nobody going to do it for you. If you want to connect with us in between the podcast, you can do so on all the socials. We are at Relay Leadership. That's R-E-L-A Leadership. Please subscribe and share this podcast. You can find it anywhere podcasts are found. And if you want to reach out to me via email, you can do that at slapcast at relayleadership.org. Today's guest is Jason Daly. He's a local fellow who I met through one of our corporate partners, Ohio Health. And then after that, I realized we went to the same church. Now, I mean, our church isn't huge, so I'm not sure I missed that, but I did. Nonetheless, we have stayed in touch over the years, and especially as it pertains to all things leadership and leader development. I learned something new from him today because we differentiated between leadership development and leader development. He's a certified executive coach. He's involved in the Enneagram. He does speaking coaching. In his most recent endeavor, the Enneagram, we are going to talk about that. I can't wait for you to meet him, and you will on the other side of the music. Jason, I'm so pumped to have you here today. And I'm not just saying that because it's written on this piece of paper in front of me. Um, Whenever you and I meet, we set aside an hour. And next thing you know, two hours has gone by. And we're like, we both have day jobs we need to get to. Um, And let's hope we don't do that today. But even if we do... Jonathan's like, no, we can't do that. I have to go home and cook. I got to cook dinner. Could this be a four-parter? <laughs> hey, I'm willing possible? to have you back. I'm willing to have you back. Yeah, I'm, I'm you, all, I'm all, all here. As long as you keep charging me what you're charging me to be here. You got it, baby. Okay, you got it. All right. So I actually wanted to have you on the Slapcast for personal reason, um, which I already shared with the audience. You and I have shared with each other um, that we have this love, really specifically, for helping people personally and professionally um, through leadership development. Now, leadership Mm. development to me is a really overused term and and people, it's actually kind of a snooze fest when you think about what leadership development can be referring to. But for me, at least, I think in terms of really personal transformation that makes a professional impact. So Mm. that's really what I'm talking about. And I I think you and I have a similarity in that passion, if you will. And so- these things are actually not mutually exclusive, like personal development, professional development, but we always start here. So what I'd like to do is talk a little bit to you about you, because mm. I want people just to know who you are. Um, the millions of podcast listeners that we have at this time um, may not all know you, which is a shock I know to both oh boy. of us. Yeah, I kind of am a professional friend to so many people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that is part of my title, I should say. I can't even believe you made time to be here today. <laughs> Um, but no, tell us a little bit about your, your history, your profession, all that kind of stuff. And what brought you here today into anchored leaders, not physically here in, mm. to my house, but what brought you to what you're doing now through anchored leadership? Yeah, sure. 
So uh, first, I, I like to make a distinction when I'm talking to my clients, whether it's at my, my full-time job at a major healthcare system here in Central Ohio called Ohio Health. So for your listeners outside of Central Ohio, um, as well as Anchored Leadership, I, I like to make the distinction between leadership development and leader development. Hmm. So, and it's not that you have to have a title for me to be able to work with you, but it there's really this connotation and this indication that this is about you as a whole person who happens to have a leadership role when, when we do any kind of work with you. So I think that's an important distinction for us to make for people, for people, um, as much as we can, just to let them know what this is really focused on. I'm going to use that from now on. Yeah. It's just a, it's a paradigm (laughs) shift. It really is. is. And I think that's in essence, kind of what my journeys looked like. So I'm trained as a clinical speech language pathologist, which basically means out of grad school, I was helping folks who uh, were rehabilitating after a a stroke, a traumatic brain injury, any kind of neurological impairment that affected their ability to communicate. I never knew that was your training for some reason. My niece does that. Yeah. I mean, it's an awesome, awesome job, but there's a lot of work associated with that. And uh, it was deeply gratifying for me, but I started to gain more and more interest in the business of healthcare. Now that actually took me away from healthcare. So about six or seven years into that job, I uh, was growing more and more interested in how I could use my degree, but from a business side of things. So there's actually a really small segment of speech pathology called corporate speech language pathology. So I left the clinical world and I started to lead workshops. So worldwide workshops for clients um, all over the place. So teams, individuals, private coaching around communication effectiveness. So essentially what people say and how they say it. And so my expertise started to carve out this tiny little sliver of opportunity for me inside of that corporate development world. So I did that work for about six or seven years and it took me all over the place. I mean, for that job alone, I lived in New York city for about three years. And then my wife and I moved down to Atlanta when we wanted to start our family. And then we had another major transition about six years into that role. Uh, so uh, man, this is a side note, but I'll tell a quick story about this. So talk about self-awareness. When I learned that this wasn't working anymore for me, uh, being on an airplane every other week or at least once a month away from home, I got a phone call from my wife. I was in Toronto and I was doing work for, um, a, a, a major client. They sell soft drinks and they're based in Atlanta. It's not Pepsi. Um, <laughs> or RC Cola. Yeah, or RC Cola. Yeah, <laughs> God bless them. But uh, I got a phone call from my wife. And, does it rhyme with smoke? Yeah, I think it does. Yeah, smoke a smola? Yeah. <laughs> smoke a smola. Smoke a smola. That's what it rhymes with, actually. Yeah. Shoot. Did I just? No, I'm gone from that role, so okay, it's fine. Okay, good. And so my wife called and she said, our our um, our nanny is, has called the fire department and she thinks she's having a heart attack and I'm stuck at work and I can't get home. We need to talk about this when you get back from your business trip. And I said, okay, honey, uh, I got to go. We're done with our break and I've got 10 clients waiting on me to restart this workshop. Wow. So that's what I call in the coaching world. That was a crucible moment for me and for our family. So long story short, basically, I just started to realize that even though I loved what I was doing and what I was great at doing, it was in direct uh, contradiction to some of my personal values. And so, uh, left that role 
and uh, sort of took a, a 10 month detour where we didn't know what was going to happen for us. And lo and behold, through curiosity and uh, this awesome network that I have, I was able to take a role here with Ohio Health full time as part of the Leadership Academy. So that's how I ended up back in Ohio after being away for about 12 or 13 years. Okay. I, I want to ping on one little thing you said. You said you had this crucible moment where what you love to do so much was basically clashing with your personal values. Hmm. Now in my upbringing, and this has changed, but I realized not too long ago that I used to have a belief that my desires are inherently bad. Hmm. And what I realize now is that it's not that my desires were ever bad. It's that I viewed my desires in a vacuum. Hmm. So I, I, I didn't consider the impacts of all of my different desires. And, and, and what I mean by that is like the impact of, do I want this particular career? What's the impact of doing that right now hmm. in my life? If I have little kids versus my life right now, which I don't have kids at home anymore, right? I have way more discretionary time than I've ever yeah. had before. And it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, Tell me about that and, a little more, please. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's a light at the end of the tunnel. I promise. Um, but I remember when I had a career, it was my first leadership experience back when I was 28 years old. You actually heard me just talk about this on another podcast. Mm. But part of the thing that was happening was I was doing something I loved. I was in an industry where I was trained, education, and it was clashing with my personal life. And the, the problem I was having was the desires for my professional life. I was not evaluating those desires in light of the impact on other areas of my life and looking at what my desires were for the, for that part of my life. Mm-hmm. So I have desires for my family life, desires for my work life that seemed like they were clashing. Yeah. How would you help... This is me getting some free t- leadership yeah, uh, coaching on. right now. Let's do it. No, I've, I have figured this out. I want to see if you have the right answer. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so good. How would you help a client? Because I think that I think that a lot of listeners, um, I think because I had, let's put it this way, I had kids so young that most of my friends still have kids. Mm. And what they tell me, they struggle with the, that very thing, career, family, and not how do I balance it, but how do I figure out what I really want for both of them so that I can kind of marry these two things so that I'm not sacrificing one for the other. Does that make sense? Makes perfect sense. Have you talked to leaders about this and what do you, what do you guys, how do you help them with this? Yeah. So I will, so I'll tell this through the lens of a story and then we'll come back to you Okay. for that coaching. <laughs> so I have a, I have a client currently, so he works for a, a major retail company and he runs a $650 million line of business. He's a young leader, but not an inexperienced leader. He's, he's been successful at every turn. And so he moved his family nearly across the country for this latest role that he's taken. And so part of the work that, that we jumped into together was him you know, the essence of coaching, I, I, Andy Stanley says it like this, and I love this definition and I agree with it. Coaching helps people go further faster. Mm. So what I know for this client is it's not about codependency. He's not looking to me for the answers. Instead, what I get to do is I get to hold up a mirror for him and I get to share observations with him and I get to ask him powerful questions that hopefully help illuminate the path before him when it comes to any kinds of decisions that he needs to make and that he wants to make for his life, personal and professional. 
So his current challenge is around everything that you just said. So he has a leader above him because leaders have leaders. Mm -hmm. And even if you're at the top of the food chain, you still have somebody that you report to no matter what. And so um, what he's been really challenged with is he's an achiever. So I'm using a little bit of Enneagram speak here, but he's an achiever. He's a three on the Enneagram. He knows this. We've worked through some of that data. And what he knows is that he will run himself ragged getting things done and accomplished because it creates a sense of safety for him. So the moment that he might start to decline in his performance, he feels like that's at its very essence, it's a threat to his and his family's survival. So on one hand, what's really critical to him is that he's able to be home and present with his family after 630 every single night and on the weekends. Wait, so you're saying he feels threatened at work and therefore that translates to, I can't pay the mortgage. Yeah, I would, I would still, I would say he feels threatened internally. So there's this Uh, dialogue, there's this paradigm for him that maybe someone's reinforcing that, but he's creating it in his own mind and he's aware of that, but he operates from that lens more often than one, than what he would like. And so part of his ongoing challenge is, man, what's, what's happening for me in this moment when I get a phone call at eight o'clock at night and I feel like I've got to pick up the phone because if I don't pick up the phone and I don't check my email incessantly, then it's a threat Some, or something bad going to happen. Yeah. Something bad's <laughs> going to happen. I mean, I might come in the next morning and they've cleared out my office. Wow. And it's in, in, yeah, that's a powerful thing for him. And so, um, holding that space for him to process through that and then take small steps toward change. Even if it's just, and I, and I let him figure that out of, Hey, what, what action are you going to take around this? So his current tiny little experiment is one night a week from 6 PM to 9 PM. I'm not checking my phone. I'm going to put it away. And I've asked him to just notice what happens for you in those moments, including what do you lose as a result of that? Mm -hmm. So there's a deep psychology and there's a deep emotional tie to any kind of behavioral change that any of us are trying to make. Wow. I love that. Oh, that's so interesting. When do we get to come back to you? Whenever you want, okay. whenever right. you want, I don't want to be too selfish, but you know, <laughs> I am the host, but it doesn't, so. yeah, that's right. Hey, part five and six, but it doesn't, it doesn't go away. We all have our own challenges. We all yeah. have our own issues. You know, what's what, what challenges me might be a little different than yours and in, in, in across the board for everybody. Now, one of the things that I am always thinking about running relay and, and having programs for people. So we do training programs, which is not the same as coaching. Mm. Um, I think a lot of our training can help people maybe be more aware of some coaching they might need. Yeah. Um, but in and of itself, we don't provide through our training programs an actual coaching piece, which is something you and I've talked about that, yes. we, that we might need to fix. Absolutely. Um, but for me, and this is Shannon's definition or explanation that may not be true, but it's how I kind of envision coaching versus training. So coaching, I'm, I'm, or I'm training, I'm giving concepts. Um, I'm giving actionable to do's. I'm saying, here's a concept and here's what you can do to try it out. I mean, and this is really, I'm dumbing it down here. Um, and then some training is more transformational than other training. It's, it's really focused on, you know, the learning process and how people actually go from knowing a thing to doing a thing and then being able to teach that thing to someone else. Mm. How do you help people move from concept to embodiment? Because I'm a huge fan of embodiment. Why? For so much of my life, I knew the thing to do 
and I did the thing. But on the inside, I didn't want to do the thing. It still didn't feel natural to me. And I still think for the rest of my life, there's certain things that won't always feel natural to me. And that's okay. Sure. But what I found is when I worked more on becoming the thing, I didn't have to work so hard to do the thing because it was now an outflow of who I already was. Mm -hmm. So for me, how that I learned that was through coaching experiences. That was like the number one thing that coaching did for me was, Oh, Shannon, you want to be like this as a person. This is like a pathway to get there. And once I began to embody those things, it was no longer effort against resistance to show up in a certain way. I don't mean perfectly, That's right. but it, it flows so much more easily. My first response more often than not is in alignment with my values. Whereas before I was like, after the fact, I was like, crap, that was really awful thing I just did or just said. That's not mm. in alignment with my values. Whereas when I began to embody something, my first response more often now is in alignment because I embody it. Yeah. So how do you help people? What's your process? That's probably a big question. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe, maybe another way to ask that is like, what's the biggest barrier that gets in the way of people embodying something? Well, I, I, I think that's the very question that I often hit people with that causes them to stop, pause, take a breath, stumble over their words, maybe tear up is, 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 you know, what's the, what's the pro, you know, what's the challenge? What's keeping you from what's that? getting in your way? Yeah. And I think that, I think that first is that the thing, whatever it is, emotional intelligence, delegation, work-life balance. I want to become a more powerful communicator, right? That's really my wheelhouse for anchored leadership. That's the work I do for people, presentation skills. It's that the thing has to be important enough to them to change the behavior. I would even say to first experiment to see what can I discover about myself that helps me get there, which would, I would probably hit on three points here. One, in any coaching engagement, my, I take my role seriously as coach to bring immediacy to the challenge. So what do I mean by that? When someone's talking about a challenge in third person or they're referring to something, what I, what, what we say out there, our job is to bring it in here. Okay. So, you know, they might, they might say, well, gee, going back to the previous example, man, my boss has been my boss is hounding me. She's calling me at eight o'clock every night. That's when we would turn the script and say, well, what's your role in that? How, how much power are you giving yourself to make a decision about that or not? It, whether it's a tough conversation or not answering the phone or continuing to answer the phone. So immediacy is a really critical part of that. Then I think the other part is to get really clear on what, what do you want as a result of the change? So what destination are we driving toward? So when I'm doing speaker coaching, I'll ask people, how do you want to show up to other people? Mm -hmm. So they might say, well, how are you going to help me eliminate my verbal fillers? How will you help me have this executive presence up on stage? And I will say to them, don't worry about any of that. My job is to help you explore how to do that. But first, let's get really clear on how you want people to see you, how you want people to experience you leave the rest up to me to help ex- help you explore how you'll get there which brings me to the real point which is we make changes and we learn best adults learn best when we do it so it's taking the risk to mess it up but so in a in a communication coaching workshop it's get everybody, get up on your feet go up to the front of the room. Let's do some work here. And, (laughs) and every single coaching is different for each person. So I don't view that as training because training would be here are the best tips and tricks for being impactful up on a stage 
or in a boardroom or when you're communicating with someone one-on-one, but instead it's, all right, Shannon, what's important to you? And here's the cool thing. This is why it never gets old for me. For some people, it's around internal comfort. I'm terrified of communicating in front of people. For other people, it's, I just don't feel like I can be present in the experience. It's almost an out-of-body experience. Hmm. So that allows me to tailor the coaching specific to what they want to work on. And I think that's a real downfall of training is it's not, it, it runs the risk of not being as personalized, but it certainly serves its purpose and has a time and place for it too. So I once hired a coach to help me with speaking and it's interesting, um, are you IPEC certified? Uh, ICF. ICF. Okay. Yeah. So I just was curious because he helped me hone in on my two weaknesses. I don't mind being in front of people mm-hmm. at all. I get that. I've seen um, you sing. Yeah. <laughs> like awesome. Crowds yeah. don't bother me. Um, so my nerves were never related to that. Mm. My nerves were performance related. It wasn't about the people in the room. It was, I don't want to say something stupid. I want them to like me, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. I want to impress people. I was totally focused on the other person. And then the other issue that I had was um, my own, I wasn't staying present. I didn't know that though. Mm. How, I, how I found out I wasn't staying present was um, I didn't know what to do with the adrenaline that I felt yes. that was going on before I was getting up to speak. And so my nerves would just get the best of me. And I wasn't, here's the key. I wasn't enjoying myself when I was doing mm. it. Like I want to do it, but then I hated doing it and I wanted to enjoy it. And so I learned some physical things to do with that. But the biggest thing that I learned, this was a meditation coach. Now we didn't sit together and meditate, but he helped me bring a meditative presence to my speaking so that I could convey what you just described, which Mm. is what do you want people to feel? What experience do you want to create? And what is the truest you that you can bring to that experience? Because that's, what's going to give them the experience is you being you. And I'm like, oh, because the way I approached public speaking was what needs to be said and what do people want to hear versus what do I have to say and how can I say it in a way that's truest to who I am? And of course there's a whole other bag of chips with this. That's like not feeling like, well, is who I am. Okay. Of course we did. We dealt with that too. Coaching part. Right. Right. And, and that was a whole other thing that had already been dealt with thankfully, because I think, years ago before I even met this coach, that would have been another layer, which is, well, what if what I, what if people don't like that I make jokes and that I'm sometimes awkward and and I like to be goofy and stuff, but I'm like, no, that's who I am. I'm a total dork. And you know, not that I have to be unprofessional up there, but to not be afraid to be myself, but then how to do it in a way that when I walk off that stage, I'm like, yes, that was a blast. I wanted to have that experience. And I finally figure, I finally cracked that code. Um, you're going to see me speak at the May event. So I'm going to be asking you for feedback. You're going to so. do awesome. Well, there's, I will just say quickly, there's, there's two realities that occur. So there, you already hit on both of them. There's a reality of what goes on inside for me when I'm communicating, I'm having my own internal experience. And there's so much more that we can do about that than most people give themselves credit for. It's like, I'm doomed. I'm terrified of being in front of a group. It's like, well, if you can learn A, what some of your paradigms are that might actually be defeating you before you even go up there, then you can start to counter that. 
Secondly, what you hit on is if you can understand the physiological response that's going to occur for you, right? Some people turn red, some people get out of breath, some people start speaking faster, others black out, you know, they don't pass, they don't actually pass out, but they black out. I've never, ever in my 10 years of coaching this seen anybody pass out communicating or speaking. Yeah. (laughs) And then I think the other part is to think about how do I embody the way that I want people to see me? And so there's an internal focus. That's the anchored part of anchored leadership is to know what do I need to know about myself way below the surface that people may not actually see. What's the truth I want to tell myself? And then there's that other's focus, which is how can I connect with my listeners? And one of those ways, multiple ways that you can actually use a skill to cover both of those aspects. For instance, rechanneling your energy through using your upper body. Yeah. It helps get rid of some of that juice that doesn't serve you, but also helps you pull your listeners in a bit more too. Can I tell you what I did to get rid of my jitters? Oh, I'd love to And then we'll move on. It's kind of embarrassing. 25 so push-ups I'm going to try to describe this. So I start with my right hand and I put it in the air and shake it around yes. like this. Yeah. And I just do it for like 10, 20 seconds, then the left hand. And then I do my right leg. Yeah. Shake that. You got to go in the bathroom and do this. Of course. You know, yeah. well, you can do it in front of people, but yeah. Or you could get people up and be like, let's all, let's do this all do together. this together. Right? Yeah. <laughs> put your right foot in, put your right foot out. <laughs> and then I do both hands up in the air. Yeah. Now you can't do both legs cause then you're on the floor, right. but you're, um, you're doing jumping jacks. Right. I have a hard enough time just lifting up one leg and doing it because I'm, I'm prone to accidents, but then you do your legs again. And then this is the weirdest part. I don't know how this is going to sound audio wise, Jonathan, but then you just go, yeah. And you do that over and over and over again. And I'm telling you what, when he was showing this to me, I was like, that is the weirdest thing I've ever, he goes, now you do it. And this guy is um, awesome guidance. Th- I agree. This guy is from Spain. And so he, you do it. You know, I can't do his accent. Right. But I it was, won't try. It's beautiful. And um, his name's Juan. And, and I started doing it. And then I was like, all right, I'm going to go in the bathroom and do this before I speak. And I'm telling you what, it just helped get rid of the, the energy that I perceived as fear. Mm-hmm. And I was like, but I'm really not afraid to be up here. That's right. So, but, but my body, my brain didn't know the difference between the adrenaline that was excitement and the adrenaline that was fear. It's the same response. Yeah. It's fight or flight. So it helped just kind of cool all of that down. Mm-hmm. And um, that helped me with the physiological part. And then it also helped me remain more present. And so that the end result of that was actually enjoy myself. And I find that when you're enjoying yourself in the moment that it comes across Oh yeah, and, and people enjoy what they're hearing. People will feel what you're giving off. And, and here's the thing, the body will detect it before the brain can recognize it. Wow. Yeah. On both sides of the table. Oh, interesting. Yes. <sighs> Laying down some truth today. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you what. Now you've worked with lots of folks, both at Ohio health um, in lots of different venues. So speaking, getting them prepared, helping them, you know, you've just described your work. You do executive coaching through anchored leadership. What do you find is the most common problem that leaders face in their own leader development that they seek help for? Mm-hmm. Oh boy. It's a big one. Well, I I will talk about a shift that I think a lot of people have a challenge facing. And this is a lot of what we're doing internally at Ohio Health. People can be more focused on getting the result and you can't fault them for that. I mean, it's part of how they become high potentials and high performers. 
but it's the ability to focus on oneself. So it goes back to that idea of personal development. So, so it's a real challenge for people to feel like I can take four hours or I can take an hour out of my day and invest in myself during quote unquote work hours. Now that's part of the culture that we're working on changing is to say it, it, it's a tired, I get it. It's a tired metaphor, but it's the whole, um, oxygen mask in the, in the plane is before you put it on somebody else, you need to put it on yourself. Or like Southwest airlines says is if you have two children, put it on the one with the highest potential. (laughs) Have you ever heard them say that? Oh yeah. Yeah. Every time I think. Oh yes. (laughs) So, so it's this, it's, it is this idea of what are you doing to take care of yourself so that you can lead your team effectively? You know, how are you going to take care of your team if you don't take care of you first? And Oh, by the way, how are you serving as a model because we are as leaders, you will be the model for your team. And so uh, it's, it's crucial to think about what habits am I showing my team are permissible or encouraged? I, it's, I know we didn't plan this segue here, but I, I planned to say something about this. Um, and that was a beautiful kind of lead in. We have a model for servant leadership at Relay called Care to Lead. Hmm. And we had to kind of create, not kind of, we created our own definition for servant leadership because what we found was that even if you do the research in servant leadership, it's not about self never. It's just that the term servant leadership makes people think that it's just service to others, period. And that you're like a martyr. And so we found it necessary to create a new definition for servant leadership that really called out this service to self and balancing with others. And we say balancing the needs of others and self. Now, I don't know that a balance technically is mm-hmm. easy to, to do or, or even possible, but the concept of that I am a factor here and the reason I give when I do our workshops is I use the same example with the oxygen mask in, in the airplane. That's beautiful. And um, this however, flies in the face of traditional servant leadership because traditional servant leadership, if you really study it, even like in BC times, right? If you look at some of the old stuff on servant leadership well before Robert Greenleaf, what you will find is that servant leadership was and continues to be perceived today as self last or self never. And what I have found is this creates so many leader problems of leaders who embrace servant leadership and their, their life is falling apart. Mm. And what's interesting is they equate that with like a higher purpose and as if we're supposed to like not take care of ourselves. Right. And so Give me examples from your own life, if you can, of how, because I know we've talked about this before, Sure. why balancing the needs of self and others is so important. And you kind of just did a, an intro to that. Mm-hmm. And you can speak from your own life, professional or both, of where you see this at play, or even talk about the dangers of it when it's not um, balanced out as much as it could be. But talk about this idea of self versus others and, and how we can get a better balance. Because in servant leadership, this is a really, really big differentiator, at least for relay. Mm-hmm. So first illustration I'd use is think about a tree, roots of the tree, branches of the tree, leaves of the tree. If there's an issue with the root system, then the fruit is either bad or it's not there. 
And it totally, it's for me, it's biblical. It's you reap what you sow. Now, let me be really clear in case there is somebody who knows me intimately listening to this. <laughs> this is not an easy thing to do. No. So, right. I've tried to, I've tried to create time in my life margin, as I call it, to take care of myself, whether it's a, it's a morning quiet time, it's a prayer, it's meditation, it's journaling. Do I do all of that stuff every single day? No. Just in case my wife listens to this, I just want to <laughs> cover that before she calls BS on me. Whenever he talks about his wife. He goes, my, my wife, Shannon, cause yeah. her name is Shannon. My wife, like, Shannon. When you talk about Shannon, I know it's not me. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's clear to me, Jason. Duh. Yeah, I know so- I didn't just go to Tahiti with you. All right. <laughs> oh boy. That would be, <laughs> I'm thinking of my wife, Shannon. That would be awesome. Yeah. She's like, this? wait a second. <laughs> Let's push pause here. You're right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so I think about how am I showing up, you know, and, and what's going on for me. So I actually have a group of, of best friends. This is a little, uh, a little nod to the Enneagram seven in me. Uh, uh, I have a group of best friends, not one best friend, uh, who, who I think I, I, they're my sounding board. They keep me accountable for life. And we ask each other, how are you doing? What's up? What are you struggling with? Are you, are you doing okay? Are you taking care of your family? How's work? So I think it's important to have at least consider who are the people you're going to surround yourself with to keep you accountable. I also have the luxury and I really count as a luxury of having a team at work where we do the same for each other. I mean, we are inherently the the leadership development arm for a company of 30,000 people. So if we're not modeling it, if we're not doing it for ourselves, then it's fraudulent. Mm -hmm. It's hypocritical. So that's important. Uh, I, I wish that I was really, really elite at noticing this in myself when it starts to flounder. What I've started to do from myself is start to notice or listen to the feedback that I get from my <laughs> wife, Shannon, about, um, man, you seem stressed or you seem irritable right now. And that's one of the ways that stress manifests itself for me that says, I, I, I do need a timeout. Mm-hmm. You know, take the advice I give to my five-year-old is... Take hey, a time out, dude. And a nap. Yeah, and a nap. That's what see, but I don't nap. It's just see, so it's like trying to like slow things down for myself. <laughs> so and 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 I don't know if that answered your question fully, but No, that's good. That's part of my awareness. That's awesome. And just to ping on that, I'm it's so important to be open to the mirror that gets put in front mm. of you. Often I would say most often by your spouse, yeah, but also by the people you work closest to professionally. I think mm-hmm. that they can mirror things back to you. It'd be, it's really easy to resist that, right? And go, oh, oh no, yeah. no, no, no. Well, for instance, I have this, uh, I have a boss, and I, he's a friend, and he'll often say, "How are you?" Very intuitive. Uh, How are you doing? And my automatic response for everything is great. Everything's great. And so, so he'll ask it again fine. and say, "Yeah, fine, <laughs> it's okay." So he'll say, "Really? Are you, are you good?" How are you doing? Really? And now there are times where it's like, okay, good. Now we can move on to business. Let's, let's get rolling with this thing. But I really appreciate that because it causes me to pause and stop and say, Hmm, let me check in. Yeah. Where's my oxygen mask? Am I doing okay with that? How am I okay? Yeah. Well, you mentioned Enneagram, so I'm going to go and hop over there. Now sure. I told you before we got started that I was a five and I was wrong. The, my, my free test that I took and you're going to send me a real one. It's no longer free. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I will find out what it says, but it told me I was a one. It gave me three numbers. I don't know if that's normal. Yeah, it it is. It gave me one, five, three. Got it. Yeah. So 
quickly, just a quick thing about tests. So the risk with tests is that it puts us into this box of, well, the test is the gospel truth of what my personality type is. When in fact, it's only we can determine that based upon what our internal drive is, which nobody can possibly know what that is. Yeah. So what what's up with the one? Yeah. So the one, <laughs> so the Enneagram for, for those who aren't familiar and it's pretty popular right now, if you live in Nashville or Berkeley, California, you've heard of the Enneagram. Yeah. I can almost guarantee you that. I heard someone say it's, um, it, is this like a Christian tool? Yeah, no. So, it's someone, neutral. Someone once said that this was the Christian astrology, and I was uh, like, what? That's because the Enneagram, people think it looks like a pentagram, which it's not. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So they're like astrology, Could wizardry. Yeah. So, <laughs> and, it, and it can be controversial in, we'll call in evangelical circles. So you could just, you could read up on that anywhere you wanted to that's, look. That's amazing. Okay. So ones. Yeah. Well, so let me do a quick overview. The Enneagram, oh, yes, uh, this is my definition, uh, derived from multiple people. Um, it, it's a, it's a typing process. So it's a process for development if we, if we decide to use it that way. So I like how many teachers of the Enneagram will say it's about helping us get out of our boxes rather than putting us into a box. Um, so there are basically nine lenses through which we all see the world and we've created what's called a type structure. So we create this type structure for ourselves, usually in childhood. And it's a result of a childhood wound. Now, for some of us, it could be a big T trauma. Others of us, it might be little T traumas, just the way we make sense of the world as kids. So there are nine lenses through which we see the world. Um, and Ian Cron, uh, who's a, a guy out of Nashville, he has a book called the road back to you, which was kind of, it was my entry into the interest around it. And we happen to be doing a lot of work with it at Ohio health, which I'm super excited about. He says it helps us see and understand who we are at our best, who we are at our worst and why that is the case or why we are that way. So we all have an idealization of the type. So a one, for instance, ones are very ethical folks they are pretty black and white. There's not a whole lot of gray space. They are the standard bearers for uh, keeping things in check, if you will. The ones are deeply motivated to be right. And that's not a bad thing. It just is what it is. I, I, I say every single type has a superpower and every single type has a dark side to that superpower, if you will. So part of being right all the time for a one, especially this is, I don't know that anybody would disagree with this is that someone who leads with a type one might appear critical of others often, but what's important to remember is that ones are typically most critical of themselves. Oh yes. The moment they roll out of bed. They're already criticizing themselves. Mm -hmm. And so, so what I love about the Enneagram is that it allows us to have more compassion and empathy if we use it in the right way for ourselves and for other people. So I'm a type seven. I'm an enthusiast. Woo. Everything's fun experiences. But as I started to dig into my work, it got really uncomfortable and scary and emotional for me, which is a lot of the work for a seven. And I don't know if we have time to dig into that or not, but that's, I'm happy to, but that's my story. Well, that's neat that you mentioned that about one, cause I already knew that about myself and it's something that I've been aware of and have had to work on. Mm -hmm. Um, and it started with being kinder to myself. I found that if I was kinder and less critical of myself, guess what? I wasn't as critical as other 
to other people. Yeah. Um, and it's something I have to, I'm much softer and much kinder to other people than, I don't know that I was ever like a, a total jerk or anything. Oh, quit nodding your head. I was not. <laughs> that, for the, for the record, that was not me nodding my head. It, that was Jonathan, <laughs> the former producer. <laughs> Wrapping it up. Jonathan, that was wrong. That's one speak. Yes, that was wrong of you. Um, But my black and white thinking has served me well in many areas. Sure. But as I've like gone into more and more leadership and had more and more responsibility, what I found was my black and white thinking didn't serve me well. Mm. Because as you grow as a leader, you have to be more and more able to handle ambiguity. And there's not a lot of black and white in ambiguity. And so that's been a learning process for me. And it's actually been in a way as a, if I really am a one, we'll find out. But as someone who, who used to be super black and white, even the idea that I could let go of that was like a weight lifted off my shoulders. And once I started to embrace mm-hmm. that it was it was freeing in a way yeah so well it, yeah and it's part of that one so that, so every single there, there's a lot of correlations between the different points on the enneagram and so f- it, for a one that one of their resource points is to move toward a seven so is to actually work to have more fun um oh, more experiences and to sort of this idea of letting go of I've got to stay on task I've got to get this done right and I have to be perfect to actually let loose a little bit now I'm maybe I'm botching the words but so for me as a 7 I'm 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 outward I'm aggressive energy I don't know a stranger but part of my opportunity is to actually here we go <laughs> slow it down get quiet become a bit more reflective and contemplative and to choose that whatever I pass on, whatever experience, um, indulgence, uh, late night movie, what, whatever, like fill in the blank. I mean, whatever there is, it's available to me right now. I can say no to, and it will be available the next time. Gotcha. So it's learning some of that restraint and that resistance of, you know what? I can lean into this. That's so interesting. Well, I, I'm hoping at some point in the future, we can offer this to, to our audience. Cause I think it's very fascinating. Of course, I'm a geek when it comes to like assessments and, you know, I'm an achiever and I'm a this and I'm in that I'm an INFJ. Mm. I've done that of, official. I did a real test, not a fake one. Yeah. That was an actual test, um, on the Myers-Briggs. So I, I can geek out over that stuff all the time. Cause I just love learning most of those assessments just reveal to people what, for the most part, what they already know, unless yeah. it's a 360, then True. you learn stuff that maybe oh boy. you don't know, but <laughs> yeah, we call those blind spots. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but nonetheless, it's all useful and even more useful if there's someone like you to walk someone through it mm-hmm. so that you can make it, you know, what do I do with this information? Yeah. You know? Cause that's, a, it's, that's really just the front end. We call it data discovery and executive coaching. Same thing as a 360. It's just the start of a process. And the idea behind it is information is not transformation. Yeah. So what are you going to do with what you know about yourself? The, yeah. I think the worst thing anybody can do with development is, oh, cool. I'm an eye on the disc. Great. Deal with it. Good luck. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry, honey, that I'm a type seven and that I like to have fun. That, that conversation usually doesn't go much further than that yeah. comment. Yeah. If we use those kinds of things to create barriers instead of conversations. Yes. Absolutely. Well, I know we didn't get to everything we want to talk about today, but we are going to wrap up. Um, what's the best advice you can give someone in their professional development? Hmm. Oh, boy. 
hire Jason Daly of Anchored Leadership. Just <laughs> that's right. We're, that's a wrap. See y'all later. <laughs> I would say do the work and find others who are going to help you do the work. I know it's vague, but we all have work to do. Mm-hmm. And so, right, for some people, it is communication skills. For some people, it's, man, I, I need to learn how to connect with an audience. Others, it's, it's, it, it can be major stuff. It could be minor stuff. But I'd say is, is find one area and focus on that area for a determined amount of time. And I'm a big fan of focusing on the internal stuff because that's where change really starts to yeah, take place. Too. I think the other thing I'd say, I, I, I've been telling a lot of clients, well, maybe, maybe that's overstating it. I'm not shy about telling clients that coaching can be used in conjunction with counseling or therapy. So I, I think mental health and, and, and behavioral health services are becoming less stigmatized. Thank God. And so where I think coaching can be a future oriented experience that's focused on individual change, therapy can help people look back and Mm -hmm. take a look at, again, maybe some people disagree with this, but take a look at some dysfunction in their life and the the deeper stuff. They're not mutually exclusive. They can be supportive of of one another. Absolutely. So I think, yeah, do the, do the work. We get intentional about what that is, but don't feel like you've got to What's the phrase? Eat the elephant. Yeah. Just one bite oh, at a time. Yeah, That's all you got to yeah. do. <laughs> Which is a weird phrase, but it is. hey, whatever. Point I don't taken. ever want to eat an elephant. Me but neither. So Jason, how can people connect with you? How can they connect with Anchored Leadership? Yeah. So I am online at Anchored ed anchor ed leadership.com you can find some more information there especially as it pertains to the communication skills coaching presentation skills i'm on all the social media stuff but probably the best way to connect you can find me on linkedin jason daly d-a-i-l-y like every day like every day yeah yeah. All right. I've heard people give out their cell phones on podcasts, but I'm not going to do that today. <laughs> yeah. No worries. I'm on LinkedIn. No worries. Since you have like 7 billion listeners. That's right. Said. A billion. Oh, man. Is that Are, what you said? Yeah. Just shy. Just shy of. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks again for being here, Jason. I really appreciate it. It's been really fun. Pleasure being here. Thank you so much. <laughs>